This is Transforming Truth with the life-changing Word of God that heals, delivers, fills you with the Holy Spirit, all for your supernatural walk in Christ. Stay tuned for Transforming Truth with Chris Palmer. And good morning, Detroit. This is Reverend Chris Palmer here on the Transforming Truth radio broadcast. Hey, listen, I'm so glad you tuned in. It's Saturday night, and you are at the right place. At the right time, God has a rhema spoken word that he wants you to receive. Get into your spirit so it can change and transform you. doesn't matter what you're doing right now, whether you made the worst mistake of your life or you're on the mountaintop living at the peak of success. God wants you to hear something from his word, and he wants to minister directly to you. You know, I'm very um, big on the fact that God has a plan but more than just that he thinks specific thoughts toward you in the mind of god you exist how about that and because of that there are thoughts that he thinks regarding your future and whatever you did that you feel shame and condemnation for listen god knew ahead of time that you were going to do those things and he still loves you and he cares about you and he wants you to take his word into your heart so that it can begin the process of transforming you to what he has called you to be. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 that we're called to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's not a sacrifice. That's a privilege and it's an honor to transform to what God has called us to be. So don't fight transformation. Don't fight going from glory to glory. Don't allow pride to make you think that you've arrived. Then you lose the benefits of transformation. We should move on and transform into what God has called us. So stay tuned as we continue to minister to you directly from the Word of God and by His Spirit. Let me pray as we open up tonight. Father, I thank you and I praise you for every person listening. I pray you give to them wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. I pray, Father, that the authority of the living Jesus would rise up in every person's heart. Father, I come against every spirit of sickness and disease and infirmity. I take authority over it now in the name of Jesus, and I break the power of the enemy. In Jesus' name, Father, I pray that peace, joy, love would rise up in every household that is tuning into this broadcast tonight. Pray against depression. I command it to go in the name of Jesus. I command fear that's gripping people to be dispelled right now in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you would move upon every person's heart and mind to restore it to what you've called it to be. Anoint this broadcast. Anoint the ears of the hearers. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get started, as we always do, I want to remind you that we have a podcast on the road with Chris Palmer. You can tune in, catch all of our broadcasts, our Boston show, preaching, all different things. Tune. You just go to iTunes or if you have a droid I'm not sure what story you go to because I have an iPhone, but you go on that store and you can pull up the podcast and it's free and it'll be a blessing to you. And you can listen to our broadcast as many times as you want and share them with other people as well. Uh, we're also on in Boston, 590 AM WEZE on Tuesday nights at 730 PM. I like the TuneIn Radio app personally. You can pick up any station in the country. I'm not even sure. Maybe you can even do the world. I haven't tried it yet, but anything that's radio, you can pick it up. Because most radio stations broadcast it over the internet anyway. And uh, you can hang with us on Tuesday nights at 7.30 on your drive home. Just pick it up 
and use run it through the Bluetooth in your car. And even though we're in Boston on Tuesdays, we can be with you through the power of technology. How about that? And uh, also, I want to remind you, we're a listener-supported broadcast, and we are a supported ministry. So uh, if you want to continue to sponsor us and help us to stay on the air and do what God has called us to do as we moving out in different projects, you can email us uh, at, or, or excuse me, write us at P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390. Or you can go on our web, www.chrispalmerministries.com, and support us there. And we appreciate all of our partners. Thank you for your letters. Thank you for your inquiries. Thank you for uh, giving charitably to us. You know, the Bible says when you give, it's given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. David said and told Solomon that if you keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk before him in truth and keep his statutes and his commandments, his judgments and his testimony, he said that the blessing of the Lord shall go round about you on every side. And, you know, that's like a football player. When ball is snapped and he looks to his left and there's someone about to tackle him, he looks to his right, he's going to get tackled. He looks ahead of him, he's going to get tackled. They've blitzed him, so someone's coming around and is about to tackle him from the backside, and uh, that's the blessing of God. When you place a seed in your hand and you give the blessing out of your heart joyfully and cheerfully, the blessing of the Lord overtakes you in a similar way, and there's no way of escaping the blessing of God when you're generous and you give as the Spirit tells you to give. And uh, so let it be a blessing to you. I want to get back in tonight as we talk about the presence of God. The presence of God is irreplaceable. I made a few statements as we started our show last week, and I said the devil hates the presence of God, that he cannot stand when people are in the presence, and so he has made it his quest, his job. It's the, like some people go to work every day. Uh, they commute. They take their briefcase with them to maybe work at the plant or to be a salesman or to answer phones or whatever you do. The devil's job, he goes to work every day, and his job is to contend against the presence of God, and he likes to visit churches. And pull the presence out. He says, you know what? You're not going to have the presence in your church. Take entertainment. Take fun. Take uh, talent. But don't take the presence. And he tries to oppose the presence of God in people's homes. By allowing them to, to stay in religion. Or think they're religious. Or offer them whatever they want. And even in matters of civility and government. The devil wants to strip the presence of God. And I talked last week about how law is attached to the presence, as we saw in the Ark of the Covenant. And how when the enemy comes along to change laws and times and seasons, as it says in Daniel, uh, I believe chapter 12, that along with that, when he starts changing laws, and that would come through our legislature and Supreme Court, and even our executive branch, which is the president, that that removes the presence of God from the land. Because God is attached to his law, and his, that's part of who he is. It's part of his thinking. Uh, and so when you see an attack on God's laws in America, what you're really seeing is attack on the presence. And we're going to see tonight, as we minister to you, that if there is no presence, there is no defense against wickedness. The presence of God, write this down if you're taking notes tonight, if some people sit by the radio and take notes. The presence of God is our defense as believers the presence of God provides the believer protection even when you read Psalm chapter 91 he that dwelleth 
in the secret place of the Most High shall rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Dwelleth is talking about dwelling in what? God's presence. Uh, you dispel the presence from your life. Walk away from the presence. You're no longer under the covering that God has for you. And so in this couple of shows, I'm talking about reviving the presence. We have to understand that in order to maintain God's presence in our lives, as I said last week, passing in review, the presence that defeated the devil and caused his demise in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 where, God, where Jesus said, I saw Satan fall out of heaven like lightning. His first defeat was suffered in the presence. And there has never been a matter or a time where the presence of God did not defeat the enemy. It always, it always, it always, when the presence is around, takes down the enemy of God. That's why sickness can't stand in the presence, because sickness is against God. That's why pride can't stand in the presence, because pride is no match for God. The devil tried to take pride into the presence of God, and he was cast and struck down. So the answer to your statement is to learn, or to your to your concern is really learn how to treat the presence of God in your life. And I'm going to talk about that tonight because we talked last week about what the presence of God will do, how the presence expels serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. And you hear it and you say, oh, I want the presence of God in my life. And yeah, yeah, I acknowledge that. And yes, brother, I believe that. But you don't believe something apart from how you act. People say they believe certain things, but they don't act certain ways, and therefore they probably don't believe what they say they believe. So I want to talk to you about the presence of God, and uh, I'm going to read to you tonight from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 4. It says here in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 1, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Samuel was a prophet that God had risen up. In his early days, because during the time of Eli, Eli was a judge, and he was the predecessor, of course, who? Samson, of course. And he had wicked sons that were priests. And, of course, those wicked sons uh, were, excuse me, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were wicked before the sight of God. So know that up front. And it says here in verse number 1, Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines pitched in Aphek. Now the Philistines represent the enemy of God. You'll study the Philistines worshipped foreign gods, Baal, and that was a demonic entity. You know, most times these gods, uh, Molech and Chemosh and Baal, and Dagon, these gods, the Philistines, well, they worship Dagon, uh, but different times, different gods. depends what leader they had. But you'll study that these demon idols were left hollow a lot of times so that the presence of a wicked spirit could live inside of them. That's how they were built. And so the Philistines were driven by demonic powers. And it says in verse number 2, And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. Now, 4,000 people is a lot of people to defeat. And so on this day in Israel, 4,000 people had been defeated. 
this was a great loss for Israel, and this was a great loss for the people of Israel. I mean, think about how many 4,000 people really is. So it says here in verse number 3, And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore has the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? They couldn't figure out why they had lost in battle. But then it occurred to them. They said, Let us get the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it comes among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemy. So it dawned on the children of Israel, and they said, Hey, you know what? This is why we lost the battle. It's because we didn't have the ark of God with us, or... We didn't have the presence of God with us. Now, they are right in theory. The children of Israel knew something about the presence. They knew that in that ark, there was the presence of God. In that ark, it represented God being with his people. What separated Israel from the ungodly nations at that time was that ark. Where other nations had a dead God that was unable to talk. I mean, you know the story when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. They placed it before their God, which was Dagon. They came into the temple of Dagon and they saw that Dagon had fallen by the side. They went and picked up Dagon, which was a half man, half fish, put him back up on its place. The next morning they woke up, they came out, they saw that Dagon's ankles and wrists had been cut off and was fallen next to the Ark. And they were so afraid that they said, take this ark and send it back into Israel. And they did so. Well, the Philistines know about that ark. Philistines, if they themselves had not yet been born during that time, someone had at least told them, the Israelites have this ark, they have this presence. And when that ark or that presence comes near, it means your defeat, it means victory. Well, why is this? Because, as I was sharing on the radio last week, God's power is extremely concentrated. And he put just a dab of his presence on that ark just a dab just a little bit of his whole fullness on that ark and it went with israel and that's all it took was to defeat the enemies of god that's all it took to defeat the enemies of israel was just a little bit of that presence and so they said you know what we lost this battle because we didn't have the ark with us and so they said let's fetch the ark of the covenant of the lord out of shiloh and then it says in verse number four so the people they sent to shiloh that they might bring forth thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwells between the cherubims. And in verse number 4 it says, And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant. In verse number 5 it says, And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, and they said, what means this noise of the great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood, it dawned on them, that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. And verse number 7 tells you the reaction. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. Even the enemies of God recognized the presence. Now, we can debate on this. You can tell me I'm incorrect, and no, it's okay, because it's extra biblical what I'm about to say, but it's my opinion that the devils that possessed the Philistines knew exactly what was going on. The devils trembled at the presence of God. They were there. They saw what happened when God defeated them. They saw what happened when God struck them down. And so now they're trembling, saying, uh-oh, the devils inside those wicked nations, they knew that they were about to be defeated because of the presence. 
And they said, God's coming to the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there has not been such a thing here therefore. And verse number 8 says, Woe unto us. Who, who's going to deliver us out of the hands of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Now look at this. The Philistines recognized that when Israel had the presence of God with them in Egypt, even though they didn't have the ark, they still had the hand of God upon their life. They had the presence manifested in different ways, fighting for them in the plagues, fighting for them through the miracles that Israel beheld. And then later on you had the pillar of cloud by day and the pill, pillar of fire by night, and you had different manifestations of the angel of the Lord, which most theologians will tell you was the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity who came to be Jesus. They had manifestations of the presence, and it was that that defeated the, the Egyptians. And they said, it, their thinking was, hey, we're smaller than the Egyptians, and they're going to crush us with this presence. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, you Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. So they said, you know what? There's no escaping this battle. We better get out there and do our best to fight. We better come against the Philistines with as much strength, the, the Israelites with as much strength as we got. And it says in verse number 10, And the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, was smitten. And they fled every man into his tent, and there was a great slaughter. And there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. This is now 26 thousand more people died in this battle than in the last battle and in the last battle they didn't have the presence in this battle they had the presence now what's going on here then it says in verse 11 and the ark of god was taken and the two sons of eli hophni and phineas were slain there ran a man of benjamin out of the army and came to shiloh and told eli who sat by the wayside watching for his heart trembled for the ark of god and the man came in and cried out and told him all the city cried out. And we know the story. Eli was so scared. This, well, let me say it like, well, let me just read you this part. This is good. It says that when they told Eli what happened, it says that Eli was distraught when he heard his sons had died. But when he had heard that the glory of the Lord had departed from Israel and the ark was taken, it said that Eli's heart trembled and he fell back in his chair and broke his neck and he died because he was in his 90s. So what you see happening here is a lot, but it's something interesting, and it tells you a lot about the presence of God. A lot about how the presence of God is supposed to work in our lives. What was going on here was a mishandling of the presence. Don't think for one second that it wasn't God's desire to cause Israel to win that battle. Don't think that God was against Israel for any reason. See, friend, God is not against you. If you are in Christ, he's for you. He's for everybody, actually. God wants everybody to be saved. He wants no man to perish. He doesn't want anybody to be destroyed. He's trying his best to save you, even if you don't know him, even if you're far from him, even if you made a mistake. He's trying his best to get you to come to know him. And we're living in an age where his wrath has been put on pause. He's trying to get as many people into the kingdom, but the more that sin goes up, the more that wickedness goes up, it is storing, it says in Romans, up itself until the day of that wrath. So 
the more sin goes up, it's put in, and that wrath is getting ready to pour out upon the earth. But he's not against you. He's trying to get you to escape that wrath. And your family members that don't know him, he's trying to get them to escape that wrath. And the way you do it is to come into Christ and receive forgiveness of sins through the bloodshed of Jesus. But he wants you to have the presence on your life. And in order to do that, you have to handle it and treat it right. Now, when you study Eli, the judge, and you have his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were priests before God. And when you get into understanding what they were doing in their, in, in their ministry as priests, they were mishandling their priestly responsibilities. I want to make this statement. And I want to say this, and so if you're, if you're listening tonight and you're taking notes, I want you to say this. If you only want the presence of God to take into battle, you mishandle the presence. If the only time that you're interested in the presence of God is when you can get it to work for you, then you are an enemy of God. If all you desire for the presence of God is to do something for you, all you want the presence to do is to work on your benefit, then your heart is not for Him. People that really handle the presence of God the way it should be, their desire is to be with the presence of God as much as possible. Their desire is to walk in the presence, preserve the presence, and their only interest with the presence is not when they can get it to do something for them. Look what it says about Hophni and Phinehas. It says in verse 12 of 1 Samuel chapter 2, The sons of Eli were sons of Belial, which means Satan. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan, or kettle, or cauldron, or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came hither. It says here in verse number seven. It says in verse 16, And if any man said unto them, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desires, then he would answer him, No, but thou shalt give it me now. And if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Self-interest and self-gain or selfish ambition will always cause the presence of God to diminish in your life. Eli and Hoff, excuse me, Hophni and Phineas, sons of Belial, the sons of the judge Eli, the last judge actually in Israel. What they did was, in their priestly responsibilities, the only thing they were concerned about is themselves. They were taking the portion of the sacrifice that they should give the people, and they were keeping it for themselves. They were using the power that they had received through birth that was passed to them, and they were using it for their advantage now this is of course pride selfish ambition but what's interesting about this is that 
it caused them to be, uh, how do you say it? It caused them not to be upright in the sight of God. Well, it caused the presence of God to diminish in their life. This is the same sin that Lucifer had. This is the same sin that he committed. Lucifer was a priest before Almighty God. As a matter of fact, the Bible, the way it describes them, Jeremiah 4, Ezekiel 36, and Isaiah 14, was that he was decked out in decor, timbrels, uh, horns, pipes. He was a musician before the presence of God. He was allowed in and out of the presence of God, and he represented God to the social system that was upon the earth during his day. He had a position of power. No theologian will debate the fact that Lucifer was of high rank. And because of this high rank, reflecting the presence of God to the people, Lucifer lifted, lifted up himself in pride, in self-ambition. Uh, and he went into the presence of God with so much pride, thinking that he could replace God because the hearts of he had turned the hearts of the people to himself and he and the hearts of those one-third angels to himself led that rebellion into heaven because he believed his own press. This is what Hophni and Phinehas were doing. The same sin. Committing that same sin of, yes, we are better than the people who is like us, who is better than us. We are the sons of Eli and we minister and we're the priests and you bow down to us. And they don't get away with it for long. They should have realized... They, I mean, back then, there was the sins of Lucifer. They knew the sins of Lucifer. It was... Pat, this, just because Isaiah was writing it, doesn't necessarily mean they didn't know it. Those... They knew it. And they should have known that when you start off on pride, and you start off and you move in selfish ambition... It's going to cause the presence of God to be stripped in your life. And their destiny, it was just a matter of time before it ended up becoming the end that Lucifer had. That's why we have to check ourselves continually. Really, you know, we don't need to be sin conscious. Every time we think that we make a mistake, we don't have to be afraid. But we should live lives of repentance. And that necessarily means that we should live lives not being sin conscious. But we should live lives, I state like this, I don't necessarily like to say live lives of repentance. If I do say we should live a life that we fear God. And fearing God, my best definition is we're mindful of what we're doing. Because we don't want to lose the presence of God in our lives. We don't want to, you know, there's a lot of people that think they can serve God and then get away with sin but listen he's still going to love you and if you really from your heart are sorry I mean you, you it's not premeditated sin but I mean you're really sorry before God he'll forgive you but listen don't compromise his presence you start living a lifestyle of sin you can have the gifts of the spirit in your life you can have the working of miracles and and gifts of healing and you can minister that out of the presence but if you start and live in sin I have no ministers that have done that We've all heard of ministers that have done that. But if you get into sin, one thing that you can't duplicate is the presence of God in your life. you got to walk holy and upright before God. Well, here you have 
Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they're getting away with sin. And their interest was only in themselves. So when they get into battle, they're carrying... They say, hey, we, we, wait a second, 4,000 people just died in this battle? We can't let that happen again. We're leaders. It's going to start looking bad on us. This is what we need to do. We're going to take the presence of God, and we're going to send it into battle. Why were they doing this with the presence? They were doing it because it would look good for them. They were using that self-interest spirit saying, take the ark and send it into battle, and when we win, we'll take the credit for the battle. We'll look good for beating the Philistines. And we'll say, yeah, you can give honor to us because it's our idea to send the ark into battle. And so they send it into battle. What they didn't realize, though, is they were mishandling the presence. And it wasn't necessarily something they did to the ark. But they mishandled it because their heart was not in the right place. When people say, how do you handle the presence of God? I mean... What is that? Your heart has to be in the right place. The reason why David was considered a man after God's own heart was not because he was perfect. It's because his heart was right. And you look at his son Solomon. Solomon started off in the presence of God the right way. The difference between... You say, well, why is Solomon looked at as someone who strayed and veered from God? And why is David... Looked at someone who's reverenced when they both love women. I mean, David had concubines. David had women coming into him. Solomon had seven wives. And he had 300 concubines. Why did... What was the difference? Here's the difference. Despite David's mistakes, it never says about David that his heart was turned from the Lord. You get into uh, studying the life of King Solomon in the book of First Kings and you'll quickly find out that after Solomon had built his temple before God he started well he was married to the the king the pharaoh's Egypt's daughter but what he started to do was it says he started loving variety he loved foreign women and here this king that I'm talking I'm trying to find it while I'm talking so I want I want to read this because you see someone that um starts off on the right foot and then their heart gets turned far from God. It happens all the time. God is most concerned with your heart. He's most concerned about what's in your heart. It says here in 1 Kings 11, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them. Neither shall they come into you. Now listen to this. For surely they will turn away your heart after God's. What was God concerned about? He was concerned about the heart of my king. And he wasn't forbidding Solomon to go unto these women. Because they were not Israel. He was concerned because understanding all the different dynamics of relationships, these women would come along and he wasn't so much concerned about the outward transgression, although it was wrong. He was concerned about they're going to get to the king's heart. 
But David never allowed his heart to go far from God. When David sinned with Bathsheba and took him her off her roof and into his house and slept with her, and she conceived and he sent Uriah to the front lines. Nathan the prophet came in and told David of his sins. David immediately repented. So when God looked at David, he said, yeah, he's an imperfect man, but his heart is after me. Nothing can turn his heart. There would be wicked kings in the time of Israel. And what they would do is they would try and find a way to cover it up. They'd try and find a way to do wicked. But when God considered a righteous king, Jehoshaphat, David, it was because their heart never turned from him. Look what it says about Solomon. It says here that for it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of his of David his father. Solomon went after Ashtaroth the goddess of the Zinians and after Milcom the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Do you think he was going? I mean, he had built that whole temple for God. He imported trees, cedars of Lebanon, for that temple. He had gone out of his way to bring in linen from Egypt. He, he had variety in that temple. It was built to God. So he didn't just destroy the temple. Here's a scary thing. He was still ministering to the ark. He was still... He still had a resting place for the ark of God, but his heart was divided. And he didn't go after fully the things of God. And it says that he got to such a bad condition that Solomon built a high place for Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech and the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrifice unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord of Israel. God was angry with him because of his heart. Solomon slept with his fathers and went down like this and ended up becoming depressed and wrote the book of Ecclesiastes because his heart was turned away from God. Think about the power of his association. So what we, all this talk of Solomon, we can understand that the most important thing for handling the presence of God is our heart. So let me ask you this question. When you consider Eli's wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas, was their heart right and fit to be carrying the presence of God? You know, someone that's in ministry as a leader, the most important thing to me is I've developed a team and done certain things. I look at people's hearts. And I don't necessarily even look at people's actions. I do my best to say, Lord, show me part of their heart. When you're, you're dealing with people, you're asking God, show me their heart. What's in that heart? And I know it's hard to discover. No man knoweth the things of man except the spirit of man that is in him. But the Lord can show you. He can open it up. You know, that's interesting. That's why you should pray for people. I'm going to make this statement. When you pray, the more you pray for people, the less you'll misunderstand them. The more you pray for people, the less you will misunderstand them because there's something about prayer that causes that prayer when you're really praying for someone, whether it be your enemy or whether it not be your enemy, 
that you gain their heart and you start seeing into that heart. You can start praying for someone that you think is your friend and you'll start to see they're not your friend. And you can start praying for someone that you don't think is your friend or your enemy and you can start to see that this was a mistake not of the heart of the head. We're going to get back in just a few minutes. We're going to take a quick break. But we're going to finish up talking about how to handle the presence of God in your life as we revive the presence of God. Stay tuned and we will be back after this. Stay tuned. My heart and my flesh cries out for the living God, for the living God. Incline your ear with trembling and tears of yearning to the throne of grace to seek your face. I'm burning and longing for you. I need you. I'm burning, longing for you. 
we are back here on the Transforming Truth radio broadcast, and we are talking about the heart, and we are talking about the presence of God and how you handle the presence of God with your heart. Now, getting back to Hophni and Phinehas, called the sons of Belial, they take the presence of God, and they take it into battle, and they lose. Now, here's the thing that I want to say. The children of Israel didn't realize the presence of God was no longer on their side. The minute that their priest's heart became full of interest, self-interest, and gain. You say, what do you mean? Remember this. The presence of God never fails to defeat the enemies of God. And the enemies of God are those people whose heart has been turned and is against God. And so when the ark went into battle, even though the Philistines were a wicked nation, here's the question. Were the Philistines the only enemies of God? Or were the enemies of God in that battle the ones whose heart was against God? The presence of God didn't fail to defeat the enemies of God. The presence of God defeated God's enemies, and 30,000 of them fell because Israel at that time had failed to recognize the presence of God. Their only interest was, what can it do for me? We need battle, bring it out. But we don't want anything to do with that. We don't want anything to... You'll see in Eli's day that the lamp of God went out in the temple. People weren't properly attending to God's presence and paying attention to the ark. It was just a charm, an amulet. It was just a novelty for them. And it wasn't working for them. We need to harness the presence of God in our lives and not just take it when we want something. We minister to that presence. Handling God's presence can, when people, you know, is responsibility. Handling God's presence requires time. It requires effort. And Hophni and Phinehas, they, didn't, they, they looked at the presence as, oh, it's taxing, it's an inconvenience, we don't want to have to do this. Little did they realize that handling God's presence with re with reverence is not a sacrifice. It is a privilege and it is an honor. That's the difference between the wicked sons of Eli and King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, when King David was going to when he had, King David was king over Judea and then when he was made king over all Israel, he wanted to take the ark of God and he wanted to put it in the city of David, which was Jerusalem. And so he went and got the ark. And you'll understand that the success of David as king was because of his heart and because he had the right heart. He had a different attitude towards the ark. I'm sure he knew the stories. I'm sure Samuel had told him about what Phinehas and Hophni did. And when King David became king of Israel, he wanted his first priority because his heart was in the right place was to get the presence of God into the city of David so that he didn't, arraign, he didn't reign apart from the presence. That's what I was talking about, young ministers, is that when you begin in ministry, you don't want to reign without the presence. When David said, get the presence of God into my city, this is like Jesus. It's a type of Jesus who was saying, I'm not going to reign. I'm not going to do my ministry apart from the presence which was the Holy Ghost that came upon Jesus' life. And in our life we have to say, I'm not going to start my ministry. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not even going to start my business until I have the presence of God in my business. If you have a business, you should welcome the presence of God into it. If you do something, say the Holy Spirit, 
I want your presence here. If you do cakes or you do cupcake shops or whatever you do, you have an oil business or a mechanic business, whatever, you say, Holy Ghost, come into this business. Holy Spirit, I need your presence here. Why? Because you'll understand that the presence is what blesses you when your heart is right towards it. Well, you know the story. I'm not going to read it in Second Samuel chapter 6 because of the sake of time. We have a few minutes left tonight. But when David was transporting the ark into his city, they took that ark and they put it upon a new cart. Now, you're not supposed to carry the ark that way. It was given in Leviticus how you're supposed to carry the ark. Four men were supposed to take poles and put it through the golden uh, loops that were on each side, and they were supposed to transport it. This represented intimacy. This represented God wanting to walk with man. This represented more care. I mean, you care more for it when men are carrying it than when beasts are carrying it. God never meant beasts to carry his presence. He meant man to carry his presence. All types of symbolism, why God didn't want beasts to carry it. I mean, that's like... You giving somebody that's like giving somebody a CD and say handle this CD with care, and they take it and throw it in the back seat and say okay, you want them to treat it right, or you want them to treat their possessions right. That ark belonged to God. They put it on a new cart, and then of course, naturally speaking, of course something like this happened. Murphy's law, all of a sudden the ark breaks off the cart, falls onto the ground, and Uzo tries to stick his hand in there and keep the ark from going down, and he gets struck dead. God says. Is is he more worthy than the dirt of this ground? And David gets upset at God and he gets mad. Now this is interesting. I want to share this. We think that David most of the time gets mad at the ark and says, God, no, I'm, I'm mad at God. He killed Uzi's one of my men. What's God? Blah, 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 blah. Don't want the presence. And he's acting like a baby. No, no, he's not acting like a baby. You know what? Oh, this is powerful. I want you to catch this. You know what David realized? He realized the way they were handling the ark was inappropriate. And that is a matter of his heart. And he recognized that my heart is not in a place where I can handle this right now. And he had enough humility to find somebody who had a perfect heart to watch over that presence to take good care of God's presence until his heart had gotten the place that it should be. So he found Obed-Edom, and he took the presence of God, and he put it in Obed-Edom's house so that Obed-Edom would carry the presence. And time went by, and the house of Obed-Edom became blessed and prosperous. Listen, friend. David's great asset was he always knew where his own heart was at. And he always respected and reverenced the presence of God. When David went to go get the ark from Obed-Edom's house, it wasn't to steal the blessing away from Obed-Edom. People look at it and say, oh, you see, there's David, he's selfish, he went and stole it from Obed-Edom. No, no, no. Obed-Edom was temporarily carrying that ark. He was holding it. it. He was privileged that, it was his privilege that King David allowed him to have it in his home. He didn't have a lease on it. David could have. It, David was the king. He could have taken it any time he wanted. He came back and it was his possession. He came back and took it from Obed-Edom because by this point he had gotten his heart right before God. And David got his heart right before God and he took the presence of God into the city of David and he began to shout 
and rejoiced and he got down into his linen ephod and he danced in that linen ephod and made his triumphal entry. But of course what happens? His wife Michael, she sees what's going on. She gets upset and she says, David, you acted like a fool. Are you stupid? Stripping down into your ephod? David, of course, told her, I'll get more undignified and I'll get I'll get worse than this. You've not seen nothing yet, Michael. But once again, what happened to Michael? Michael's heart turned from God. Michael's heart was not in the right place. And because of that, her womb was closed back up. So what's the point? Lucifer, when he rebelled against the presence. Israel, when they didn't know how to handle the presence. And Michael, when her heart was turned from the presence. And even Solomon, when his heart was turned from the presence, they all ended up becoming destroyed. You'll find out that David didn't even, David lost Michael as a wife. He got, they, they separated. He took unto him Abigail. How you treat the presence of God in your life on a day-to-day, mundane, daily basis is going to determine, determine your success. A lot of people can't understand why ministries fold up. A lot of people can't understand why ministries uh, don't go the distance. People don't understand why is my business, why is my home, why is there failure in my home, why is there failure in my life. Here's my question. When you consider the presence of God, consider your heart towards Him. You can't take into consideration God's presence until you can take in consideration your heart. Your heart is going to determine how you treat God, how you treat His Word, how you treat His Spirit. And so if you are uh, treating it wrong, I want you to do something tonight, and I want you to make an adjustment in your life. Make an adjustment in your heart. Make an adjustment in the way you see God. I'm not too arrogant and proud to get on my face before the Lord and say, Lord, I I repent for not having the fear of God in my life. I repent, Lord, for treating your presence like it's not something holy and sacred and reverent. Because here's the thing. When you get born again and you have the Holy Spirit in your life, when he's upon you and he's in you, that pr- you, you, you don't need the Ark of Covenant. You don't need the Ark that Israel carried that Solomon built a house for. You become the ark. The presence doesn't need to go inside of a container made of gopher wood, covered in gold on the outside. Gold represents divinity. Gopher wood represents humanity. You are the ark. You have human flesh, and it's covered by the Spirit of God, and His presence rests upon that. And inside of your Human flesh represents the law of God, which is the word of God that's been written upon your heart. It is the provision of God, and it is the intents of God, his ability in you. You're the ark, and when you defile your body, you know, there's a lot of people, and I'm not trying to bash people tonight, but I want you to recognize this. There's people that, they'll go to church on Sundays, they'll tweet stuff about Jesus, But that doesn't mean that their heart is for him. You know if your heart's for him. Your heart's for him. You don't sin and say, well, 
yeah, mm -hmm, I'm going to sin, but I'll ask God for repentance because he'll forgive me. Your heart's far from God. You say, well, yeah, Brother Palmer, but, you know, we're under grace. Grace is not a license to sin. It's the empowerment to overcome sin and to enforce the righteousness that you've been made. When you really get born again and saved, you don't have the desire to want to sin all the time. You have the desire to want to do right. And the more you get in his word, the more you say, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. The presence of God is in my life. The presence is more important than that sin. I, I can't do that. Because you have his presence. Because your heart is in the right place. Your, your mouth can be for God and your heart can be far from him. So I want us to make an adjustment tonight. I want us to pray. I want you to pray with me. Let's get our hearts right. Let's adjust our hearts and get them right before God. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we thank you tonight for the presence of God. We surrender to your presence. We want to handle it right. We don't want to be like those that mishandled it, God. We don't want to be like those that only wanted it for great gain. But we want to be like David that has a heart that's for you, that doesn't turn from you, God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we repent where we've missed it. We repent for any lack of the fear of God in our lives. We adjust ourselves to you now to do what's right before you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we acknowledge your presence in our homes. We acknowledge your presence in our lives. We acknowledge your presence in our businesses in our churches, in our ministries, we acknowledge your presence, God. And we thank you for it. We want that presence to be in us and through us and move in us. And we receive it, God. And we thank you for it. And we give you all the praise and you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friend, listen. I want you to make it a point today or this week or wherever you're at to spend some time in his presence. The best way that you can do that is, first of all, you get your heart full of his word. I spend time reading through the Bible every day, meditating the word, meditating upon a scripture. You know, you could read books, you can use study guides, but there's also a place that just basic meditation has. Pick five chapters from the Bible, maybe even ten, and read five to ten chapters from the Bible every day. You say, well, that's a lot. That's a lot. Well, you give an hour and a half to television every night. That's That's doing nothing for you. Your heart gets full of... What you see on America's Got Talent, but not the Bible. Spend time. The more you read the Word, the more it gets in you, the more you'll enjoy it. And then once your heart is full of the Word of God, take that full heart that you have and extend it to God and appropriate it through worship. And you start worshiping God, and then when you worship and you have a heart that's full of His Word, and you start thanking God, then His presence is going to come. Now here's the thing about His presence. His presence doesn't come and leave. His presence is going to stay with you. And when it's on your life, you'll take that uh, experience that you have in worship, you'll take that experience that you have in your everyday life and you will bring it into your workplace and people will get set free just because His presence is upon you. Let's revive God's presence in our life. We love you, friend. We want to remind you that you can write to us, info at chrispalmerministries.com or you can visit our website, www.chrispalmerministries.com or write to us, P.O. Box 403 Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390, P.O. Box 403, Wald Lake, Michigan, 48390. 
If you want to help us as we uh, reach out to uh, send books to uh, our friends in the Caicos Islands or to get our book into uh, different mental institutions in the area to promote good health, you know, send us your love offering. We will appreciate it as you help us do the work of God. We love you, friend. Remember, next week we'll be back on the broadcast, 12.15 a.m. here on the Transforming Truth Radio broadcast. God bless you. We love you, and we will see you next week. Be blessed. Now that you've received the transforming truth of the Word of God, go deeper. Go to our website, chrispalmerministries.com, or log on to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Ministries. Then partner with Chris financially at Chris Palmer Ministries, P.O. Box 403, Walled Lake, Michigan, 48390. And tune in again every Saturday night at 1215 a.m. for Transforming Truth with Chris Palmer on WMUZ 103.5 FM, The Light.